You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last time, we hope. Special edition bonus style of pros like us. Uh, We had a big event in the NFL and we thought we absolutely had to come on and give our reaction. Jags reporter John Shipley was on uh, this last episode that just posted a little while ago and then in between Urban Meyer gets canned. So we'll have some reactions to that. But uh, first, we do have another player interview. He's a wide receiver of the Monmouth University Hawks in pride of Sicklerville, New Jersey, as well as Philadelphia, PA. Lonnie Moore IV, number two. Lonnie, how you doing? Doing good. How about yourself? Doing all right. Welcome to Pros Like Us. And right off the top, we're going to ask you to grab a prop, put your scouting hat on, and give us some scouting notes on Lonnie Moore IV, wide receiver. Basically, all my life, um, I've been considered as basically an all-purpose player. I like to consider myself as a Swiss Army knife. I feel like that I can play almost all the positions at receiver. Throughout my career playing football, I played all the positions, quarterback, running back, defense, uh, cornerback, defensive back, safety. So um, I just like to consider myself to be able to do it all. Uh, here at Monmouth, um, I started off my first two years playing outside receiver. And then my last two, um, I ended up playing the slot. So uh, I really just do whatever is asked of my team. Um, I also play kick return. I can play punt return as well. I'm just an explosive player, somebody that you like to get the ball in their hands and just let them make plays. And um, I like to consider myself a playmaker, and I know that's how my coaches look at me, and uh, I just like to take pride in that. Do you have a favorite spot on the field? I've debated with myself uh, back and forth about playing outside or playing inside because both have benefits. Um, Outside, you know, it's more of the one-on-one matchup. I can use my speed all the time on the outside, uh, speed releasing. And then in the inside, uh, it's just basically mismatches. For the most part, I either have a safety over top of me or I might have some type of nickel uh, defensive back or outside linebacker that will step over top of me. Both have their benefits. Um, it's hard to really pick one. If I had to pick one, probably slot. Slot is probably more beneficial for uh, somebody of my play type, being able to dink and dunk. I can run deep, uh, run past guys. So, you know, I just do it all. Just get the ball in his hands, folks. Okay, so now let's take you back. We like to get to kind of the, like origin story type situation here. Uh, what's your earliest recollection of playing football? Uh, my earliest recollection of playing football. So um, originally, well, actually, all of my family is from Philadelphia. Uh, that's where I was actually born at. Um, I lived in Philly until I was about six years old, and then. Uh, my dad and mom decided that they wanted to, uh, you know, live somewhere, you know, more safe, better education and things of that sort. So we ended up moving to South Jersey. And right from the start, when I moved to South Jersey, I began playing all sports, football, basketball, baseball. I ran track. So I just did everything from a young age. That was probably about six or seven years old. And ever since then, I've just never looked back. I've always played sports, loved sports, uh, and I would definitely say that sports is one of my first loves. 
So who would have been your first role model in sports? Definitely my dad. My dad went to Northeast High School in Philadelphia. He actually was able to win a championship at Northeast High School. He actually played Blair Thomas in a state championship. Um, I think he went on to go to or play for the Dallas Cowboys. So um, my dad was actually the man at Northeast High School. Um, you know, he got MVP for the uh, state championship game. And he's really the one that introduced me to sports, introduced me to football. And, um, you know, that's definitely my biggest role model in my life. What position did your father play? My dad played tight end and linebacker. He was more of a, like a hitter type guy. He told me in the state championship game, he actually had 16 tackles, uh, one touchdown. You know, they didn't really pass that much, but when they did pass, he was scoring. So did your dad take it easy on you or did he go full on and, and hit you even when you were younger? I actually respect my dad for this because my dad was never like the one to be like, oh, I have to do this. I have to play football. I have to play basketball. I just actually like found the love for myself and he loved the sport as well. So it was easy for him to, um, you know, bring me into the sport, you know, watch me, coach me do all of those things. So he's been coaching me for as long as I can remember. And um, it's never been like a force, but something that just, you know, both of us love. I guess you could say it's genetics. <laughs> what about your favorite position when you were growing up in high school? Obviously in college, you went to wide receiver. What about in high school? What position did you like the most? So in high school, I actually played slot as well. But um, the way that our, our offense was set up, I was in the backfield a lot. Um, I would get handoffs up the middle. And basically, just uh, kind of how mom did, they tried to get me the ball any way that they could, different creative ways. So uh, playing the slot is something that is just second nature to me at this point. You know, high school kids don't realize how much dedication goes into becoming a good football player in college. How much blood, sweat, and tears did you put into this to get to this point, Lonnie? That's really all it is, honestly. Uh, that's what I think. Um, with any type of sport, anything that you really want to do in life is all about dedication and working hard. I feel like I was gifted with uh, talent, but most of it came from, you know, just grinding, you know, countless days running routes, uh, hitting the weight room, just trying to better myself in any aspect. And I could understand that for high school kids, it might be hard to understand when you're in high school. Uh, this certain mentality that you have to have to really try to get to the next level. And that's really all it is. It's a grind. You know, every day you got to go hard. You just got to remember what you're working for and who you do it for. And um, that will always give you motivation. This is extremely important to just give it a year all, work hard daily, you know, uh, no days off because when you slip or when you slack, uh, it's always the next guy that is going hard. Uh, you just got to think about it like that. There's always somebody out there that's working out every single day, uh, just trying to better themselves every single day. So you just can't fall behind that curve. There was a tagline in a uh, local paper there around Monmouth University uh, earlier this spring, and it was attributed to you, you know, strives to honor the memory of his twin sister. And I was just curious, what does that quote mean to you? How does it hit? Yeah, uh, you know, it hits hard. It hits hard. Uh, three years ago, I think it was my sophomore, junior year of college, my sister passed away in a, a car accident. 
that really hit my family hard, just losing somebody so close, um, just in a blink of the eye, especially like when you're not even expecting it. Um, something so sudden, it really affected my family hard. You know, I had a great support system around me. I had great friends around me. Um, I had a lot of people that's been there uh, for me as we still, I mean, still today, you feel the effects of that. It's not a day that doesn't go by that I don't think about my sister. And, um, you know, it's just extra motivation. Um, it makes me really want to strive to be great. Half of me wants to do it for her. Uh, anything I do um, is through her name. I want to keep her name alive. You know, it, it just hurt. It, it was a hard time for my family. But um, I'm thankful for my friends. I'm thankful for my coaching staff. I'm thankful for everybody I have around me. I'm thankful for football because, uh, you know, this sport really helped me get through some really hard times helps me take my mind off of things, you know, so I just try to honor my sister and whatever I do, any accomplishments that I get, um, I always say that it's for the both of us because, you know, that twin connection is just different. Um, just growing up, I could be able to sense when things weren't wrong with my sister and she could be able to sense when things weren't wrong with me. So it's just, I couldn't even explain it. It's just this feeling that you get. So I just feel like she's part of me. Um, everything that I do is going to be for her. Well, we truly appreciate you talking about that. We, and obviously, we know that that can't be easy. So that's uh, you know tribute to you to be able to uh, talk about her that way. I mean, is there any like specific ways that you can point to that she motivated you in a situation where maybe you needed it? I mean, yeah, actually, it's just uh, these past couple of days. Just to give you a little bit of background. I got my communication degree about a year ago, and right now, um, after the semester, I'll begin a second degree in uh, political science. Um, over the summer, I was just thinking about it, or when I was really thinking about taking political science, I was just thinking about it, and uh, something in my head was just like, I have to do this for the both of us, get one degree for me, get one degree for my sister. Um, she was studying law at Delaware State. Um, when she passed away, I didn't have an, I, the credits that I needed to to be able to finish law was too much. And I knew the political science was right there in the same realm. So I felt like uh, being able to get both of these degrees for both of us would be good. So just recently, uh, this week, uh, it's finals and stuff. It was really a lot for me. I had a lot of work and it was just hard. And I just called my dad and we just talked about it for like an hour. And um, he just motivated me. And he was just basically telling me just do whatever I have to do in order to get this done. Um, I've came too far not to be able to finish this. Um, and uh, rightfully so, I was able to get finished all of my work, even when I felt like it was too tall of a task, um, I was able to do it. And, you know, when I graduate, I just know that it will be for both of us. That's awesome. Well, congratulations. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, having two degrees is, is going to go a long way, whether you make it in the NFL or in football or not. You know, the degree is, is going to take you a long way in the next 40, 50 years of your life. Why Monmouth? And uh, was that your first choice coming out of high school? I probably had about like 10 offers or so. I really narrowed it down to James Madison, Temple, and Monmouth. Um, honestly, originally, I was going to go to James Madison. Uh, this is when Everett Withers was the coach there. And right before I uh, really finally made my decision, the whole coaching staff ended up leaving and going to Texas State. 
so that threw a wrench into uh you know my decisions and really what i wanted to do you know james madison was actually my probably my top school that i really wanted to go to um i had went to a game when they played richmond and when pad lee was there and the atmosphere was just crazy the coaching staff leaving um I just really wasn't sure uh, what to expect from James Madison or how the next coaching staff would feel about me. After that, I really just narrowed it down to Temple and Monmouth, and I felt like it would be important uh, to stay close to home. And Monmouth was really just uh, probably the top school that was really just constantly showing their interest for me, coming to my school every single week, um, just making me feel like they really wanted me. And then when I did my research on Monmouth, um, I saw that they had receivers that were able to make it to the NFL, uh, knowing that that would be one of my goals. Uh, Reggie White, Chris Hogan, Miles Austin, Neil Sterling, all of those guys. So um, I felt like it would be a good opportunity to stay home and still be able to chase my dreams of uh, making it to the NFL. Earlier in the interview, you talked about being the Swiss Army knife for your team at receiver in the passing game. When was the moment when you first realized that I'm a playmaker for this team now? Like, was there a play or a certain game that stood out that made you believe that, hey, it's it's my team now? Well, honestly, I mean, since I came to Monmouth, I just feel like I've been a tremendous player in practice, in spring games, summer games, whatever it may be. Um, I just felt like that I was being able to dominate in whatever way that I really wanted to. I know coming out of high school, some guys would talk about my frame and stuff, and Probably even some of my coaches uh, were skeptical of that. But, um, you know, my play would just spoke so loud. Um, and I was able to gain weight. I was able to get stronger, get faster, and you know, all of that. So um, it really helped me out. But um, I would say the one game that was really, like, a big moment for me, this was probably in 2019 when we were playing Wagner. I scored the game-winning touchdown on fourth down with about 10 seconds to go. And it was Wagner's homecoming, too. So that was just an incredible moment, considering that Monmouth and Wagner, they both were in the NEC. So we had history as schools, and we used to be rivals and things of that sort. Wagner really played us tough that game. And, um, you know, we just didn't play our best football, honestly. And for me to come through on fourth down with 10 seconds left in the game, fourth and goal to score to win a game, win a touchdown on homecoming, uh, it was just a great feeling. And I felt like, that was about the third game in the season into 2019. I think that really put like a lot of people on notice that um, I'm hungry and I'm going to do whatever it takes to win. He had a game earlier this year. I mean, a great stat line against North Alabama, nine catches, 127 yards, three touchdowns. What do you remember most about that game? We actually have another receiver named Terrence Green. Many like to consider us a great duo. Um, we've done a lot of great things since we've both been here. But when we played North Alabama the game before, he ended up getting injured. You know, I'm probably the most experienced receiver that we have on the team. With him being out, the coaching staff uh, made it a point just to really try to get me the ball in many different type of ways. You know, that's what we did. Uh, not many teams do that, but they came out and played us cover one. You know, I love cover one matchups. I hate being double teamed, which I get a lot, or zone looks, uh, whatever it may be. But when it's one-on-one, -on -one, um, it just allows me to be creative, allows me to win matchups. And um, that's what North Alabama gave us. They gave us the one-on-one matchups. You know, I was able to exploit them from the backfield, jet sweeps, 
uh, short routes, deep routes, um, anything. You know, it was just a great day uh, all around offensively, and I had a couple of big kick returns. Do you think that was your best game? I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, probably statistically looking, it probably was my best game. But um, I feel like I've had so many games that, you know, I might only have like seven catches, 100 yards, and a touchdown. Just the type of plays and when the plays are made, like, like it's really huge for our team. So it's hard to say that that was my best game because I have a lot of games that I feel like um, I really made an impact. For all the accolades that you've received through the years, uh, which one means the most to you? The accolade that means the most to me probably is, uh, it's not even an individual accolade. It's probably just winning the Big South Championship. My goal coming here was to win a national championship. Uh, unfortunately, we weren't able to do that. But um, I feel like since I came here, uh, the guys that I came in with, uh, we were able to change the culture here at Monmouth, you know, and we're just a winning team now. Being able to win the first Big South Conference Championship in the school history, uh, it was just a great feeling, team achievement, and it was just awesome. So you're an all-time leader in kickoff return yards at your school at Monmouth. You're an all-purpose guy. What do you enjoy most about being a return specialist and you've done punt return and kick return tell us about it i mean do you get just a different feeling out there trying to make the big play as a returner yeah um kick return it's a great position to play sometimes kick return can come at really big moments you know the team scores the ball with a little bit of time left you might need to put your team in great field position for us to go on a two-minute drive um just playing kick return is great um I feel like I have a great feel for kick return, um, just being able to, like my vision, I just see holes before they actually create it, you know, and it's just great just being able to have that much space and being able to make people miss and make plays. What do you think is the biggest trait for a reliable, a really good return specialist? Vision, vision and speed. Um, you got to know when to hit the holes and when to excel. Because everybody is moving so fast on kick return, you got to think about it. The kickoff team is running down full speed at you know a kick return team where you have the the guys that are blocking. They drop about ten yards and then they have to set up and try to find their man. And these men that are running down, they're running full speed. You know, could be hard sometimes. It really can. You know, just having that vision, being able to know where the hole is going to hit, and then hitting it with speed. You have to have speed in order to play kick return. And I feel like I had both of those things. How did your former teammate, All-American Reggie White, influence your career? And what did you learn from him? Uh, Reggie, what a guy. He's a great guy. Uh, I, he influenced a lot, honestly. He's honestly a big reason why I came to Monmouth. You know, when I came to my visit here at Monmouth, I was with Reggie. He showed me around the campus. He showed me around the facilities. He's taught me so much uh you know, just about leadership, how to lead, you know, how to be just that leader on the field and off the field. When you have like a big name, a lot of guys are going to look up to you. So you have to set the tone for the younger guys. And um, I credit a lot of that to him on uh, just teaching me how to be a leader. 
So he's a contemporary, right? You said you did some research on Monmouth uh, wide receivers. I mean, Miles Austin did play some time ago. You probably didn't get to see much of him as a kid growing up, but uh, Chris Hogan played fairly recently. What did you find out about those guys when you were doing your research? I already knew who Miles Austin was just because of uh, the great career that he had playing for the Dallas Cowboys and in the NFL. And then being an undrafted dude, too, at that. I knew who Miles Austin was. I didn't know where he went to school. Um, so just finding out that he went to Monmouth and then that they have this uh, tradition of actually being able to put receivers into the NFL, you know, that went a long way for me. One of the things that I think there's a misconception out there that great receivers, hey, if you've got speed and catch the ball, you're a great wide receiver. But as we talk to more prospects, as you watch the game for any length of time, you know there's a heck of a lot more to it than that. What's the most difficult part about playing wide receiver? A lot of people that just watch the game, you know, they might think it's speed or catching or things of that sort. But uh, what really allows you to play the game is knowing what's going on knowing what the defense is doing, knowing what you're supposed to be doing, knowing how to get yourself open, just little things like that. Being able to read defenses, you know, that really helps me a lot. Just knowing, being able to know what type of leverage or, um, you know, what's going to happen before the play actually happens. It allows me to uh, run routes certain ways that I may not run. If I know that it's man, um, I might just speed release a guy instead of if it's zone, then I could tempo it and things of that sort. So I feel like uh, being able to read defenses, um, being able to know what's coming at you, that's something that's not really talked about a lot at the receiver position, but um, it's definitely one of the biggest keys. All right, now I get the sense, you know, you're born in Philadelphia, even though you moved to New Jersey. You've been an Eagle fan your whole life, right? Philly fan my whole life. There you go. Who's your favorite Eagle of all time? Deshaun Jackson. I can assume why you like him so much, but you know, give us some of the the background on that. When the Eagles first drafted Deshaun Jackson, I honestly didn't even really know who he was. But everybody just kept saying he's this fast, like really fast, really fast, really fast. And then I just saw him. And uh, the way that he was able to just make a name for himself being a deep threat was just so amazing to me. And um, that's something that I've always looked to add to my game look to model after him um he's one of my favorite nfl players to ever play and you know just the way that he's able to run by people um it's appalling me and i just love that would you say you have a similar body type when you see him play do you see some of yourself and vice versa yeah um i absolutely think that i see some of myself in deshaun jackson um just being able to uh run by guys use that speed to get open, um, you know, there's definitely some similarities. Um, I feel like that I may be a more a, a bit more twitchier than Deshaun Jackson. You know, I could just make people miss, get through things, you know. Just when you think that's a play that's not about to happen, I can make it happen. But definitely uh, the deep threat in Deshaun Jackson, I definitely see that in myself. As an Eagles fan, how much do you despise the Cowboys? Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> What really gets to me is, you know, living in the Northeast area, and then there's so many Cowboys fans around here, and it just doesn't make sense to me. It's like, how can you root for a team 
where you've never been to the state, you know, you've never been to the games, uh, you know, you've never been around the environment, but you're all the way here in the East Coast rooting for um, a team in Texas. So, you know, it just doesn't make that much sense to me. People are going to like who they like. I know people call Dallas America's team, but I don't really feed into that. All right, Lonnie, what's your height, weight right now, and what is your 40 time? Uh, I'm 5'10", 172 right now. And my 40 is a four four five. Have you signed with an agent yet? Uh, I have a couple of agents that um, have been in close contact with me. Me and my family, we're just trying to really uh, pick out which one would be the right one for me. But I'll probably have that situated by the, the end of this month. Where do you plan to train for the NFL draft? I mean, do you have any ideas? Are you going to stay in Jersey or go somewhere else? I'm honestly not sure yet. Um, that's something that I've been discussing with my family as well. Test football in North Jersey, um, they've been like a real uh, good facility, especially for guys in New Jersey. A lot of new guys, a lot of guys in New Jersey go up there to train. Um, you know, so I'm really just uh, talking it over with my family and just trying to see what's best for me. Well, I second that. Test Academy has been a good place for uh, the Jersey guys or the local guys. Have you been invited to any All-Star games out there? Yeah, um, I was invited to the FCS Bowl game, but uh, they actually just passed. I actually didn't play in it. I got invited to it, but the turnaround was pretty quick, and I wasn't sure because uh, the FCS playoffs were still going on, and I was we were hopeful to still be playing when that game went on. So um, it didn't work out for me. The timing wasn't right. All right, Lonnie, we'll send you an invitation to the Tropical Bowl then. It's going to take place in Orlando. I mean, hopefully, maybe you'll consider it. Oh, yeah, I would love to play in that game. All right, sounds good. Uh, All right, it's that part of the show where you get to tell our listeners what your social media handles are and anything else that's going on with you. So on Twitter, you can find me uh, at Lon2, that's L-O-N-N-2, and then uh, underscore at the end of that. And then on Instagram, um, you can find me at Lon2 as well. And on Instagram, it's L-O-N-N-N-2, that's three N's. So, uh, you know, basically the same, Twitter, two N's with an underscore, Instagram, three N's, no underscore. Well, good luck to you, Lonnie, for the rest of the journey. Uh, Hopefully we'll see you in the NFL. I hope you make the right decision with an agent and your training facility. Thank you for being on with us. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Lonnie Moore, the fourth wide receiver from Monmouth. Wish him the best of luck and hope he does take Alex up up on that uh, Tropical Bowl uh, invite. What would you think of that, Alex? Like right off the bat, he was like, yeah, I'd love to play in that game. That's what they always say, and then they go to some other all-star game, but it's okay. I mean, I love the player. I love what he has done uh, for the past couple of years. He's, he's been you know, working the slot. He's put up the production. You need production as a wide receiver, whether you play in the FBS or FCS. He's got the speed. He's a versatile player. I love the fact that he can do some of those things as a return specialist, and that's where his value is going to go up. And that's why I gave him the invitation to the Tropical Bowl because I was one of the people that was pushing him for the FCS Bowl. I know he didn't come, so I figured let's try and give it a second go around. So I hope Lonnie Moore the fourth will join us in Orlando. Don't know if it's a word, but 
I'm all for it. When he says he's twitchier than Deshaun Jackson, that kind of blew me away. I was like dumbfounded. I didn't know what to say. And that, that, that was it. Then it was like, okay, I, I was at a loss for words for the first time in a long time. But that was a great line, and uh, I'm all for it and hope he can prove it on the field. Uh, okay, so the inevitable happened. Urban Meyer let go you know, in the wee hours of the morning. Everybody all over TV, Twitter, social media, wherever there's a microphone, people are talking about Urban Meyer. Had been talking about him for the previous weeks, but now he's done. He's out. Shad Khan, I'm going to be patient. This, that, the other thing. But the patience ran out because this was just too much. Since we did our episode... The whole Josh Lambeau thing came out about him, you know, kicking him at practice, calling him a dipshit, telling him that you better make your kicks. And then he actually kicked him. And Josh, according to reports, said to him, if, you know, basically, you ever effing kick me again, there's going to be a problem. So all these things wrapped up. The rookie quarterback is the adult in the room. Uh, Marvin Jones Jr. at the mic showing much more maturity and professionalism than their head coach. He had to go. That's it. He's gone. I'm sure, Alex, you got a lot to say here, so go. I'm just glad that the ownership recognized that this is a train wreck that they just have to end right now because there have been too many incidents this year in general, and it started already with the hiring of Urban Meyer. I think the expectations were just too high to begin with because this guy had success as a college coach wherever he's been. But what we've seen is this guy had no accountability. That every time he left the place, it was worse afterwards. I mean, obviously in college, it had a lot to do with the recruiting. He was penalized, you know, at Florida, at Ohio State. It just followed him around. And people felt that maybe he has matured. He has gotten older. But, you know, people don't change if it continues, if the same thing continues to follow him around so what makes you think that once he makes it to the professional ranks that things will change he acted like a child he acted like a college student not a guy that's going to be in the the college football hall of fame one day as a head coach Jacksonville made a mistake once again it shows that it's really tough to make the transition from college to the NFL and I think some of the the greatest college coaches of all time like Nick Saban found that out And Urban just didn't give himself accountability for the fact that Jacksonville is a rebuilding job. When you took this job, you knew that in his first season, you're going to win like three, four games tops. That's it. He couldn't handle losing, Lou. I guess he felt like winning in the NFL is the easiest thing in the world, especially when you don't have the roster in Jacksonville, you don't have the players, but all of a sudden you're going to do a heck of a job and get to the playoffs. Well, he had to embrace and get ready for the long haul. Build in the first year, take losing, and then build on that in the second and third year. And I think that's probably the biggest thing. He's a sore loser, and I think he showed himself that he just can't hack it. He can't cut it. And that's probably the biggest thing. And some of his warts, some of his things in his head really came out and showed, and he showed his true self. And I feel sorry for those Jacksonville players. I feel sorry for Trevor Lawrence, but I'm glad some of them handled it professionally. And I hope now 
Khan can go out there and get a real coach. Just cut your losses, admit that you made a mistake, pay Urban his money, let him retire in sunny Florida somewhere, and let's get a real coach in Jacksonville. Well, when we were talking off air yesterday, I think you had mentioned, you know, geez, you know, I wish I had Urban Meyer's ability to sell himself because then you could sell yourself into something great as well. I think he just put himself above it all. Like he was just above all the things that you have to do to be successful in the NFL. Khan gave him the keys to the franchise. It wasn't just he was the head coach. He was in charge of the entire operation and had never done anything like that before. You know, maybe at these universities he had that kind of cachet, you know, after winning a little bit, but I think he took it as I can do whatever the hell I want. And he said so much to Lambo when he kicked him. He said, I'm the head ball coach. I can do whatever I want. I can stay back in Ohio after we just got our asses kicked on national TV and go hang out and, and party while you guys go back to Jacksonville. All these things that he did, it just comes off as and I don't want to go down this road, but it just seems like white privilege. There were so many candidates out there. And, and again, you're going to hear about this. You're going to see it in social media and everything else of experienced people of color, even those that aren't of color, that should have been considered and will be considered this time around, you hope. Byron Leftwich is sitting right there in the state, okay? He's a former player with Jacksonville. Ten years. He was a first-round pick. Showed a lot of class while he was a player. Has done an amazing job wherever he's been coaching. I mean, Pittsburgh, Arizona. Now it's all been with Bruce Arians. But, you know, he's proven that he can quarterback coach, offensive you know, run game coordinator, uh, offensive coordinator. He's coaching Brady. He's a Super Bowl champ. Respect all around the league. You've know, you got to consider a guy like that. Doug Peterson is sitting out there. Super Bowl champ. Again, former quarterback. Worked with some big-time players. I mean, he's got some respect around the league. We're going to go crazy about Eric Bieniemy, and you know I'm going to talk, but I'll let you sing the praises of Eric Bieniemy. He Here's a no-nonsense guy that, again, he may not look the part, but he is going to clean up that organization and do a great job with the offense, bring in somebody to work directly with, with your rookie quarterback. It will just be a much better situation. Another adult in the room, Jim Caldwell, who, again, people underrate him, but he respect around the league. Always runs a clean organization, a winner, uh, maybe not a championship guy, but again, a guy is going to be the adult in the room and be able to lead a franchise out of the just mire that Jacksonville's been in. Sorry, I guess that was a pun. It's one thing to lose, okay, and be like a lovable loser. But on top of that, there's all this drama You've got a gener you know, a generational talent. You've got Trevor Lawrence sitting there, and he he's in the infancy stages of his pro career. He doesn't need the BS. He doesn't need all this crap. Okay, you're going to take your lumps. You're going to lose games. Like you were saying, Alex, from the coach's standpoint, yes, the quarterback has to go through that to learn what it means to win, what his position is, not just on the field, but as a leader. And he's showing that even amongst all this BS that his head coach created. So 
that's the end of my rant. Those would be my top candidates as it stands right now. I think Leftwich would be number one only because of his relationship with your organization and just the proximity. So uh, those are my guys. I agree with you about Byron Leftwich just because he played for the Jacksonville Jaguars as a quarterback. He was the face of that franchise for a while. Simply look at the things Brady says about Leftwich. I mean, not just as an offensive mind, but as a leader. I mean, he praises him. And Leftwich has been under Bruce Arians, you know, in Arizona and now in Tampa. So I think that's that's a great name to keep an eye on. I think this guy is going to get interviews. Whether Jacksonville looks at him or not, he's going to get you know, interviews from somebody else. I think Brian Dable has got to be in the conversation just because of the way he developed Josh Allen and what he has done with him and the leaps and bounds that Josh Allen has taken from his rookie season to, say, his third season. And you have to give credit to the offensive coordinator. He's got to take credit for it. And I also would say Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl with the Eagles, with Nick Foles. All right, he beat the Patriots. It went downhill in his last year, but Doug Peterson has been in this league. He's been a quarterback. He, I think his record is 42-37. and 37. He developed Carson Wentz overall. Like They had a good relationship over the first couple of years. I think Doug Peterson would be a good name also to throw in here because he is also going to be in coaching circles. I'm almost convinced that he's going to be coaching somewhere in, in 2022. you got to bring a leader of men. Somebody that will be willing to take responsibility for his actions, for the players, on and off the football field. You don't need a head coach that's going to separate himself from the team. That's the worst kind of head coach that you can get. Like, Urban is on an island and everybody else is on another island. It's like Urban is like distancing himself from Jacksonville, even though he is the head man here. So they got to find somebody who is going to be accountable, somebody that's willing to develop these players. I remember Peyton Manning going 3-13 and and throwing, I don't know how many picks he threw in his rookie season, 30 or close to that? It was a record. That? It was close to 30. Yeah, like 28, I think. So, I mean... Trevor Lawrence might be going down that same boat right now. It's actually a good thing to struggle in your first year as a rookie, especially for Trevor Lawrence, who's won everything in high school, in college. Remember, in Clemson, he came in and won as a freshman, won a national championship as a freshman. He has lost more games now than he has lost throughout his whole career in high school and in college. So this is a good thing. This is a learning experience. And we talked about it with John Shipley. I mean, he has matured and he has become a leader early on for this team. He acted more like a coach. He was willing to take responsibility and not back down. So I admire that. I do think Trevor Lawrence is in good hands. Now they just need to hire a coach that will be able to develop him and get him some more weapons on the offensive line and at wide receiver. Yeah, a coach, not an emperor, right? I mean, he just came in and it, gosh, again, I hate to keep repeating myself, but it just screams of privilege. Again, they gave him the keys to the franchise and he just basically drove it into a ditch because of his own ego, hubris, whatever you know, adjectives you want to bring to it. It was just a disaster. And there's going to be people making lists, but you know, forget about lists. This is going to go down in history as 
one of the worst hires ever. Urban right now is probably, why didn't the Jaguars fire me like a month ago? I could yeah. have gotten a USC job. I could have gotten an LSU job. I could have gone to Notre Dame. He's probably going to himself, damn it. I was trying to get fired a lot sooner than this, and they didn't pull the trigger. I could have gotten some more money out of a university, uh, you know, a huge university, whether it's, again, Oklahoma, USC, LSU, or Notre Dame. But unfortunately, Urban, you're going to have to wait an extra year. But there are going to be plenty of schools lining up to hire him next offseason. No, there are, I don't think there is. At Ohio State, I mean, they were looking to fire him for cause at the end. That whole, again, drama with the assistant coach and the assistant coach's wife and all, the, all this stuff. I mean, it was just ugly. And I think we may have even broached the subject on our previous episode with John Shipley. Hey, is Urban trying to get fired? And I truly believe, I believed it when I asked the question, and I believe it now. He's probably the happiest guy Next to all the players in that locker room, the players in that locker room have just got to be breathing a sigh of relief that we can get away from this crap and just finish out the season. I wouldn't be surprised if they come out and play the best game they've played all year against Houston this weekend. You know, I was real close to making them a pick. (laughs) <laughs> and I might be doing an addendum pick at this point, but I, I can't, I digress. And yeah, he's looking at these college jobs, what they did, and I'm sitting here and, and I'm surrounded by all these losers and all this other stuff. Get out of here. Don't let the door hit you in the ass. Sorry, but uh, we're looking for some grown-ups this week. So I think that's going to do it for this special edition of Pros Like Us. I feel like a a big weight has been lifted off our collective shoulders, Alex. I think we can go on through the weekend now and watch some football games. Hopefully they get this COVID mess in order, the protocols, because every single day it seems like more and more players are going into the protocol. I don't know if the Browns have enough to play on Saturday. Uh, looks like Washington's in that same boat, and it's just uh, by the minute. Oh, don't forget, please subscribe. Till next time, peace!